Well, let's start. It's uh, today is uh, March fifteenth, two thousand eight. Um, we're approaching the season of Purim, and we're going to start with uh, Matthew. Part 3, this will be an introduction today. Let's open in prayer. Father, we do thank you for uh, the message, the gospel that uh, was presented to us uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, Father, we thank you for that message, that it is a consistent message from, uh, from time uh, past, from ancient times, Father, from before time. It's the same message. We thank you that the good news is that we can uh, approach you, that we can live with you, that we can uh, commune with you. Father, this is the good news. We thank you that you have presented yourself, uh, you have revealed yourself to us, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself uh, in the work and in the person of our Master. Father, we pray that you might uh, bless us as we study his words and his life, and that we might take his words and his life and apply them and live them. And we pray this in our Master Yeshua's name. Amen. Yes, this is the introduction. If you're not familiar with introductions, uh, why would we do an introduction in the middle of Matthew? And it's so that we remember what we're, where we've been. Uh, also, we need to always continue to refocus. If you don't know already, I'm big on repetition. Um, <laughs> um, uh, as a teacher, I know that it may be boring, but at the same time, it actually has an effect. Um, and the reason why I know this is because it's what works with me. So we do a lot of repeating. Thanks for your patience. So and the fa- <laughs> pardon me. So did Jesus. No, yes, he did. And the Father Himself, who sent me, has testified of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His form. This is Yeshua speaking. What is He saying? Something interesting or odd? It says you've never heard His voice at any time, nor seen His form. Had they heard his voice? In a way, had they? Yeah, that's Sinai. Well, that's true. The people that he was speaking to had not heard it, but uh, we do a collective thing anyway. You know, that all works that way. I don't know if you were there, but I was there at Passover. That's the way we think. And I don't look that old. That's the way we're supposed to think. We're commanded, actually, to remind our sons uh, that we were there. Uh, that's what, in a way we were there that's right we were there why because because we inherit we inherit this great heritage and in this regard they inherited this idea that they'd heard his voice hadn't they they heard his voice at Sinai uh, but he says nor seen his form you know if, if, if you if you go back and read in, in the book of Exodus it said uh, Moses and Aaron and the and, and the elders saw him and they described him, didn't they? And they had a meal there at the mountain. How is that possible? How do you see his form? But then again later on in Numbers chapter 12, he says, Moses saw his form. But Paul says he's invisible. These are... These are well, but earlier he says he saw his form. He describes him. He says it was... Uh, he had he had feet. Yeah, we 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 and and in Numbers chapter twelve it says he saw his form. Moses saw his form. He saw my form. What is it? Why do we have difficulty with this? And the reason why is because there seems to be so many contradictions. Um, what it is is it's our it's our inability to grasp 
the difficulty, the impossibility of finite man being in the presence of the infinite God. And we have to constantly be grappling with how can you have a relationship with that you cannot relate to? How can you commune with that whom when you are with will consume you? Yes, this is the this is the this is the problem of scripture. It is it is a serious problem of life. It is a difficulty that begins in Genesis and is not resolved, fully resolved until Revelation. And even then we come away with the question, how is it possible? So And that's exactly the answer. With God all things are possible. What we see right here is when Yeshua says these things, what he's saying is he's entering into the mix, this mystical impossibility. He's throwing it out there. You know, he he doesn't want us to simply set it aside. We're supposed to deal with deal with this difficulty. Do you understand that sometimes when we deal with difficulties we oversimplify? In fact, I would say that as human beings, when we deal with difficulties, we always oversimplify. And especially this difficulty. The difficulty that the infinite God wants to commune with finite man. And that man being unable to even recognize or to be able to uh, uh, see him or hear him or relate to him, yet is being called into a relationship that does those things. How does it work? That's what he says. You have neither hear, heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. John five thirty seven through forty. What is he saying? He's saying. Uh, it's impossible but here I am and all of those things that are impossible to comprehend is standing before you wow that's like isn't that too simple no actually it makes it even more difficult it does it just makes it more difficult how can the infinite be contained in the finite it's impossible um Unfortunately, we as human beings, what we like to do is we like to then come up with strict, dogmatic, doctrinal statements that describe what cannot be described. Uh, and oftentimes, we will err when we do. Um, the most important thing that you understand about the Hebrew mindset with regard to this issue is Yeshua God, is this. And that is that the proof of something is not a I believe statement. The proof of something is in what you do. And the Hebrew mindset is not worried about someone saying, I'm so-and-so, and I'm so-and-so, and I'm so-and-so. Because so-and-so is defined by what so-and-so does. You don't have to stand up and say, I'm the king, because if you're the king, you do what a king does. And everybody knows you're the king. Right? Right? Uh, in our Western mindset, of course, we have to have the title. Oh, no. I have to have the title first, and then I'll do what I have to do. Uh, I have to say what I believe, and then I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Now it's the other way around. So, take this word believe and understand that believe means action. You have to act upon it. Um, and this is what we're going to be looking at for the next number of weeks in the book of Matthew. 
And that is that this issue of him as Messiah, what he really came to do, what he really accomplished in these last chapters of Matthew, may not be may not be what you think. In parts 1 and 2 of Matthew, we saw that the kingdom message, the gospel, that is the good news, the Sora, was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. What we're now going to do in these last eight chapters of Matthew is to look at the goal of the kingdom message and see how it becomes evident. And in it, we're also going to get a glimpse, although we're not going to see it unfolded because it's not until the apostles begin to speak that we see the whole message unfolded as prophesied by the prophets, and that is what is the mystery of the gospel. And it was a mystery, and it's remained a mystery even while Yeshua was preaching. What is the mystery of what it is to say repent? Isaiah chapter 2 tells us that, that when Messiah sets up his kingdom, his word will go forth into all the, all, the, all the world and the nations will be drawn to Jerusalem. What? You know, what Jews want all the nations in Jerusalem? We're trying to keep them out, right? <laughs> that's right. In a repentant state, that's a completely different issue. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this word incarnate. And I, you know, I'm, ta- I'm trying to I'm trying to dance around this ontological. Ontological means the discussion of the form or the nature of someone. I'm trying to dance around it because I think it should be danced around. You know, Yeshua did he ever say I'm Messiah? Give me an answer. True answer. Did he ever say I'm Messiah? No, he didn't. He did not. Absolutely did not. Well, it's not recorded. Maybe he did. I doubt it. He did that. He did that. The woman at the well. What did he say? The one who is standing before you. Peter, when he said, "That's right, that's right." But he never said the words, and that's what people throw back at us. But he never really said it, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't. Why? But what was that you just said about by your actions? That's right. He didn't have to say it, did he? In fact, what did he have to do? Don't tell anyone. Why? You know, we scratch our heads over there and go, that's backwards, man. I thought we're supposed to tell everybody. Why didn't he want to tell everybody? In fact, most theologians scratch their head over, theologians scratch their head over and actually come up with all manner of weird answer to, to solve that question. This goes back to that same issue. Um, he, is, he is redefining Messiah. He is. He's redefining it. He's redefining what Messiah means compared to what the people know. They think he's one thing. They think Messiah is all about one thing. He's showing them. He's showing them what Messiah does. At Sinai, God spoke in an audible voice that all Israel could hear and see. See? It actually says that. It says it in the Hebrew. We saw, and they say, we saw his voice. It says all Israel saw. In the English, it says saw the thunderings. Of course, we'd all scratch our heads about that and go, well, they really mean lightning, right? Well, actually, the word thunder wasn't there either. It's voice. We saw the voices, actually. We saw the voices. What's the voices? No, it's, not a, it's not a funny way of saying verses. Voices. Uh, what's the voices? They saw the voices. Do you remember when we, made a, we had a discussion about Acts chapter 1 and 2? Several weeks, several weeks ago, we talked about prayer. And everyone was uh, gathered, we, we surmise, in the temple. And where they were supposed to be on Shavuot. And tongues of fire were above their heads. And everybody was amazed. And they heard the, they heard the sound of rushing wind. Well, this is, this is actually the legend. And I'd have to say it's a legend because we have no biblical proof of it. The legend of Sinai was 
the voice of God split into 70 languages and went throughout the camp in the form of sparks that they could see and rested over every Israelite's head. That's the legend. Well, that sounds like Shavuot. That sounds like we read about Acts chapter 1 and 2, right? Well, that's exactly what we... The idea of seeing, seeing the voices, that's impossible, right? But it's that same issue, an audible voice that Israel could hear and see. Go to Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. I'm already, I'm already going deeper than I want to go. <laughs> I don't have time to do all this. Stop me next time I go too deep. Okay? Excuse me. Well, traditionally there are 70 nations in the world. If you count the nations in, what is it, Genesis? There's 70 if you count them and do all the uh, iterations of... of of uh, splits there are 70 nations so there's the world is made up of and this is the tradition 70 nations so there's 70 languages there are more than 70 languages so there's Sinai the language for all the people of all the world now yeah the Midrash Rabbah or Midrash uh, yeah Midrash Rabbah for, for Exodus says that God asked each language each, each people would you accept my Torah and uh for whatever reason, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff in there, but one, one is, uh, well, one group who were known for stealing said, well, what's contained in it? Well, thou shalt not steal. Well, no, we will not accept your Torah. One new group known for violence, well, what's contained in it? Well, you should not murder. You shall not murder. And they said, well, no, we will not accept your Torah. Well, when they came to Israel, they didn't ask what's contained in it. But the point is, a lot of people make, make fun of Israel because they said, yes, all that the Lord has said we will do before they heard what he said. But I say the opposite. They said, all, you look at this, this is, an, this is Exodus chapter 20, 19, before he ever said Exodus chapter 20, the ten words. They said, all that the Lord has said we will do. In other words, I sign my name to a blank check. That was faith. That's right. And and whereas the nation said, "What's contained in it?" Now that's a legend. That's not in scripture. That's a legend. Uh, it may be a very accurate legend. Who knows? The point is that it, that that this conveys that same attitude, and that is that Israel may have been foolish in their motivation, maybe not. But the point is, God honors the fact that they don't ask what's contained in it. They simply said, all that the Lord has said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And they immediately broke it. But they did say, all that the Lord has said. <laughs> Actually, uh, they, many remained faithful. It's not fair to say they. Um, 3,000 died that day. Uh, there's a wonderful parallel. If, you'd ever, if you ever want to do the parallels between the Sinai experience and Acts chapter 1 and 2, you will learn an incredible amount of stuff if you can put, a, put aside your preconceived ideas. Uh, Numbers chapter 12, uh, and I'm not going to read verses 1 through 8 because uh, it's a long discussion about basically what, what transpires here. Aaron and, Mo- Aaron and Miriam are basically speaking against Moses because they're saying, hey, what? He's the leader? What? We're leaders too, right? Uh, and, and, it, and it goes on to say, they heard the Lord say in verse 2, so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also and the Lord heard it now the man Moses was very humble more than all men who are on the face of the earth that's that's quite a statement isn't it um, <laughs> it is 
listen, listen to what the Lord said in verse 6. Hear, my, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Uh, from Hebrews, uh, we, in Hebrews chapter 2 we hear that, read this. I speak with him face to face. And he sees the form of the Lord. Oh, excuse me, even plainly and not in dark things. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? As Sam spoke to us last week uh, during, the, uh, during the 1030 hour talking about this, this very passage. Uh, think about all the people in the world. Nice, godly people that speak against Moses. He says, why weren't you afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God spoke to his foremost prophet, Moses, face to face. Deuteronomy 13.1. Uh, uh, we got lots of time to go through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. My, I'm in, uh, in American Standard, and it says, with him I speak mouth to mouth. That's actually better. Because it says no man has seen God face to face. So if this says mouth to mouth. No, actually I think it's a better, it's a better translation anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually known scripture that says he takes his face when he was going in the tent. Yeah. That's right. When he got into the tent, when he covered his face, we talked about last week. Yeah. That's right. And uh, some, some denominations tend to use it as, 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 as anyway. Uh, do you understand? Do you understand the contradictions? We're grappling with something that is incomprehensible. So the words being used are words we understand. God speaks in the language of men. That's why we have the Bible speaks in our language so when we find inconsistencies we shouldn't toss it out and go well there you go no we should say ooh there's something deeper here something that I can't understand easily that's exactly what he's doing in Deuteronomy 13 chapter 1 uh, or chapter 13 verse 1 it says if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them this is, this is, a, this is a profound teaching that the anti-missionary movement uses uh, and I appreciate that Deuteronomy 13 don't go after those, those people that are talking about Jesus don't go after them that's after another god right? why? listen and gives you a sign of wonder. And the sign of the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What is that, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Listen. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. You go up to a Jew... And tell them, boy, isn't it great? You don't have to. You don't have to obey the Torah anymore. You are not teaching the gospel. You're driving them away. You are, because our master didn't say that. He said, not one jot and not one tittle will pass away till all is made full. You know, it's like the very thing that people think they're offering something good. God's words are good. Psalm 119 tells us his words are good. They're like they're like honey. Psalm chapter one. Psalm chapter nineteen. They're like honey. His words are good. They're better than gold. His words are good. They give life to my soul. They give me hope. They give me a way to live. They give me a way to know whether I do love my brother. They give me a way to know whether I love my brother the way that God loves my brother. 
And we go and say, isn't it good? You don't have to listen to anything that God said. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I've, I've heard of uh, someone who drives in the conservative uh, order and trying to know the side. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things she said is, I don't have to follow those 613 well, rules. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, uh, we're, as human beings, we don't want to obey God. That's just the answer. You know. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm making a case that you guys have already made. I mean, you, you, we've gone through these scriptures before. You, you, uh, you, you hold to these scriptures. You know these are true. We're simply repeating what we all know. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses is speaking, from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Speaking of, he's speaking of Messiah. Everyone recognizes the Messianic text. According to all you desire of the Lord your God at Horeb, that is Sinai, the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear the voice of the Lord my God, nor see his great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. They were afraid when they heard the voice, when they saw the voice, the thundering. They were afraid. And they said, We don't want to hear you go and speak to God. God said, That's good. Because they're afraid of what? They know they're finite, standing before the infinite, and they'll be consumed. We need someone like us. We want to see. We want to hear. We want to see someone like us. Listen. And I will, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among, from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that... Whomever will not he will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require I will require it of him. So he's going to speak his words. His words are not going to be mixed words. God is not God is not like James tells us. That, you know how can how can fresh water and salt water come from the same uh, well? God is not like a man where he speaks one thing and then speaks something different. He speaks the same. It's God's words. Yeshua is speaking God's words. Acts chapter seven verse fifty three. By the way, if we don't get to it, there is an overview of all last last uh, part two in, at the end of this outline. So <laughs> we may not get to it. Acts chapter seven, verse fifty-three. We don't usually get to. I know it's like I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I just admit it up front. <laughs> Acts chapter seven, verse uh, actually verse fifty-three. Um, he's speaking. He's speaking. This is Stephen. In his in his uh, his sermon, speaking to the the assembled leaders here, and he he ends up talking about Yeshua, and he and, and he's talking about actually let's go up to verse fifty two. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, and they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who who have received the law that is the Torah by the direction of able angels, and not and have not kept it. Angels there is actually angelos, which is messenger, one who sends tidings. Uh, this one is not merely observing the giving of Torah, speaking it. Um, actually, I move up to verse 53. Yeah, angels, plural, attended the giving of the Torah. Angels were there? If you read Exodus, there were no angels there. There are no angels there. You know, the whole... Uh, you know, Luke chapter 2, and the heavens were filled with heavenly hosts, and they're all praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And take that and move that to Exodus. Did that happen in Exodus? There's no record of angels being there. Actually, there kind of is, but it's 
spoken of later in Numbers talks about talks about there being a, uh, there being a, a his fiery law being given. The angels somehow attended. But here is something very important. How is the Torah given? How is the law given at Sinai? Through an, through an intermediary? Well, in a way, but was it really? This is really important. When you, when you, go, to, when you go to synagogue, and at the end of the reading of the Torah, uh, and everybody points their little finger at it, and said, this is the Torah, this is the Torah that God gave to Moses. It's not through an intermediary. No one else presented. This is the thing that God spoke and gave to Moses. This is, this is very important. We're not saying that there's, well, it's a variation of the law. It's a variation of what God said. This is what God gave, period. It's a very, very powerful statement. Recognizing that, in fact, that God spoke it. Moses is not the deliverer. He is not the writer. He is not the, even the compiler of what God spoke. He is simply relaying what God spoke, period. In other words, it's the authentic thing, right? It's the authentic thing. Now go to Acts chapter. Move back to Acts chapter seven, verse thirty through thirty-eight. Another angel. Here we go. When forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire in a bush in the wilderness of Sinai, Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marvelled at, at it at, at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him. Uh, by the way, does anybody else have a capital A there for angel? Angel of the Lord? Okay. Uh, that's, a, that's a theological statement, unfortunately. There's no capitals in Hebrew. Uh, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off, off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who has made you ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and delivered by the hand of what? The angel who appeared to him in the bush. The angel. There's a problem with his word angel. It means messenger. It doesn't mean angel. It doesn't always mean angelic host. What do you have? You have NESD, don't you? Verse 35. The hand of the angel who appeared him in the bush. What angel appeared him in the bush? Go back to Exodus chapter two. What angel there? What do you have there? Do you have the word messenger? No, I didn't have angel there, but further up, he's still angel. None said the voice of the Lord. Yep, interesting, isn't it? So it was Hashem. It was Hashem. David Stern's uh, translation says an angel appeared to him in the desert. Yeah, and actually, David Stern's translation there is not his translation. Of the of the Tanakh, he uses the JPS, the early JPS from uh, uh, early 1900s, 1911, I think it is JPS. Which is the Jewish Publication Society, which is the same as a, any any you know any conservative synagogue you'd go to if you picked up if you had an old version of the Tanakh, it would be the JPS. Same. It's got a copyright, so I use this. Um, let's move on. Uh, so, an angel, an angel. Uh, Didn't that happen throughout all of the Old Testament? Oh yes, yeah. Well, that's a great point. What does it say? He wrestled with. Yeah. I know, I don't know. Are you see, we're meant to scratch our heads. We're not meant to come up with a theological nice little theological answer. Bam. 
you know, stamp your name on it. Okay, I got that figured out. Don't even need to worry about that again. This is one of the things we got to be. We should be going. It says he never saw his form. We never heard his voice. Wait, Moses saw his form. We heard his voice. It says. It says God spoke from the fire to Moses. No, it says angel spoke to spoke to him. It says God will go before him, before Israel. Uh, in, into the land wandering right I'll go up with you I'll go before you and then he says no it says, he says he'll send his angel up Moses says if you will not go up with us we will not go and he says I'll send my angel and Moses doesn't argue wait a minute, wait a minute. what's this angel thing you know what's the angel have to do with it because we can't we, we can't comprehend the, fin- the infinite we're finite and I'm just giving you an example I'm trying to explain to you something impossible to explain by giving you an example which you make, okay, I've got it figured out, and you don't. <laughs> we're trying to use words, we're trying to use the language of men to describe something that is indescribable. So when we, when we, when we put it into that nice little cubbyhole of our theology and say, well, I don't ever have to deal with that again, we're doing the wrong thing. This is meant to be a mystery. It's meant to remain a mystery because it's impossible for us as human beings to comprehend how we, sinful, corrupt beings, can commune forever with an infinitely holy God. Like when John was trying to describe his view of heaven. Puts it in, but he puts, but he put, but he uses, he uses language to describe it. As well as he can, he said, "I'll do it as good as I can, but it's indescribable." Go to John chapter one. John tries it too. You have to understand our our writers, our compilers, our our not authors, but the people that write down God's word for us, wrote it down, are trying to are struggling to use language to speak. They're not struggling. They're saying what God says. But they're using language to convey something. And here he is in John chapter 1. John is doing that. Verses 1 through 4. You know this well. It's a theological, it's a theological passage. It is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's not trying to get you to make an ontological, that is a description of, of, of being, right? A description of exactly what is God's makeup? What is Yeshua's makeup? He's not trying to get you to do that. What he's trying to do is he's trying to describe what is indescribable. He's trying to describe, and he's using terms that are in-betweeners, buffers. Something that lets him say what he wants to say, but he doesn't have to step across the line. What line does he not want to step across? He doesn't want to step across this line. Yeshua's God, by the way, and I just want you all to know it. Why doesn't he want to step across that line? Why? Put it in a cubbyhole, and you don't the mystery. Well, that's true. But what? I I don't have a problem with that mystery, do you? But the Jews do. Actually, you should. 
That's exactly right. Here's a measure of respect and reverence. It's very, very careful. You read how the apostles treat this issue. You read how Yeshua treats this issue. He's very careful. I and the Father are one. That's blasphemy. Is it not? Well, no, it's not. Not if it's true. But other than that bold statement, he's just very careful of what he says, isn't he? Why? The Torah reading this past week mm-hmm. really had to do with coming by God, getting closer. That's right. <coughs> and I think coming near. If, if the writers of the scripture, if, if the Lord had allowed them to fully describe, we wouldn't be able to comprehend it. It would be in a almost absolutely, to, uh, absolutely great. Absolutely, and that's my point. When I say that if you if you have this all settled in your mind, I don't mean to upset your theology. I don't want to, honestly, because I probably agree completely with this issue with you. But I want you to understand that the that God says things the way that He says them in such a way because He wants us to, to ponder this. It's not easy. It's not easy. The infinite cannot be contained in the finite. Period. We get a little glimpse. It's like a little peephole. That's right. That we get to and that's and that's why John gives us these wonderful words to describe something. This word that he uses, the word, the word, logos, is probably better taken into the Aramaic. And if you read the Targumim, which are great, there's English translations of the Targumim. And if you want to read something really interesting, because it's 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 basically got commentary built in. It is actually this Targumim, are translations of the Hebrew into Aramaic from the first century and before, where they would actually do paraphrases. And there's tons of Messianic stuff in the Targumim, tons. Onkelos uses this word, Onkelos is one of the Targums. Onkelos is a translator of the Hebrew Tanakh into, or the Hebrew Torah, parts of the prophets into, into Aramaic. Uh, we get it into English, translated into English, and it's got all sorts of really wonderful things, lots of messianic things. And one of the ones is he uses this word memra a lot. It's the Aramaic word, the word, the word. And he uses the word memra to explain the angel of the Lord many places in the Tanakh. So when we read, in the beginning was the word, if you're John, and whether you speak Hebrew or Aramaic or both, Logos is not his first choice. He's thinking either Memra or some variation of that, right? So, obviously, he's got this long history of what the word is. It's like the angel of the Lord. Well, what's the angel of the Lord? Do you understand, there's a, there's a, there is a very good Christian theology that says talks about the pre-incarnate Christ. It's a bad theology because it doesn't follow through and I, and I don't really uh, I don't know I don't think all the angel of the Lord is Jesus walking around in the Old Testament that, that's my own personal deal that's their attempt to put it in a cubbyhole that's right that's an attempt to put it in a cubbyhole but there's, a, there's something to be said there there's something there yeah. there's something there it's not it's not it's not something you can put in a cubbyhole there's a profound thing that we need to understand it's impossible for the infinite holy God to be finite it's impossible. But come on, with God all things are possible. It's not easy though. You need to remember this. It's not easy. When we begin to dig into this and understand what Messiah did, what he came to do, we're going to have, we, we shouldn't just simply put it into our nice little theological cubbyhole. 
Okay, well, I got that all figured out. I know what Messiah did. I know what Messiah came to do. Maybe you don't. Maybe I don't. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Like I said, we're not going to get through this, but that's okay. This is important. But Yeshua is the exact representation of him. You got that from Colossians chapter 1, and actually Hebrews chapter 1 as well. Listen, it says... At God at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to our fathers by the prophets. That would include Moses. Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. What? Through whom he made the world? Yeshua was born somewhere around 4 to 6 BCE. Um, he wasn't there, was he? <laughs> Don't just put it into a nice little theological cubbyhole. Scratch your head and go, he pointed, but he, through whom he made the world? Guess what Ankalos said? Memra. Memra was the, was, the, uh, was the instrument of creation. The Word. That's what John's drawing from in John chapter 1. What is Memra again? Word. It's Aramaic for the word word. What is so profound about that? Because he doesn't say God. Is it just a circumlocution? Is it a way of saying it without getting breaking through? Is it a buffer word is the point? Yes, it is. It's a buffer word. It's a word that we can use kind of in between. Traditional Judaism and reading of the Zohar likes to use these little in-betweens too. Emanation and emanation of God. Well, I don't agree with that, but let's move on. Uh, verse, verse 2 has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, things through whom he also made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high you notice the writer of Hebrews is actually using circumlocution here he said he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high why didn't he just say, and God sat down? He doesn't. He uses buffer words. Not just buffer words, he uses three or four. He's distancing himself from what he just said. That's good. It's kind of hot. wrap your mind around it. It's hard to understand. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has inheritance, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for which of the angels did he ever say, "You are my son"? Today I have begotten you. <coughs> the written word speaks, and actually I could keep going here. He talks about the word here, but I'm gonna have to finish up. The written word speaks of Yeshua, the living Torah. The living Torah, the living law, explains and lives the written Torah. Yeshua is not a replacement for God's words; he is the embodiment. Of them, for they came from him. He's the qualitative improvement because we can see him face to face. No man has ever seen God. No man has ever seen his form. We saw him. We beheld him. That's what John makes the point. We saw him. We beheld him. We get a we get a testimony of him. We saw him. We touched him. Can everybody? Can anyone ever say that? I touched God. No. Wow, how powerful is it? Because it's qualitative improvement. In other words, it's better. Speaking to us from the mountain, it was frightening. Someone else. Can you do it some other way? Okay, here's a way. <laughs> it's better. 
That's good. <laughs> Hold that thought. We've done our job. Let me finish by saying this. Without a relationship, history is only information. The Bible is only information if you don't have a relationship. To study the historical context of Matthew because of a relationship can only enhance our relationship with him. And so as we, and by the way, we're throwing out heavy theological things. So we're not going to do that as we move on. We're going to go through the scriptures page by page, going through Matthew. And we're not going to get deep into it, but I threw the deep out for a reason. Because we want to look at these last eight chapters of Matthew have some profound, in fact, history-shattering things that we need to re-examine. Not to re-examine to throw away what we believe, but to have what we believe be reinforced by Scripture. More importantly, have what we believe be aligned with Scripture correctly. What did he do? What was his point? He's Messiah. Why did Messiah have to do this? Right? It's very important as we come up on this Passover season especially that we, uh, that we not simply treat things as history. Passover is not history, is it? It is. We talk about what happened and we say, he's our God. He rescued us. It's a relationship. So as we approach Passover, we're in next year, and as we approach Passover, we're going to be in the midst of Passover as we're going through these last chapters of Matthew. How perfect is that? As we do that, let's renew our relationship with the Lord and consider the fact that what we have already known and believe may in fact be true, but have it be shaken to the point where our relationship will be deepened. Let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you that you have spoken and that you have revealed yourself in your Son, Yeshua. Father, this is something that we cannot fully grasp, and we thank you that you have not overwhelmed us with the impossible, but simply given us a way so that we could understand, so that we could hear, so that we could see, so that we could touch you. And Father, we thank you for that. We bless you, and we ask that you might bless us in Yeshua's name. We pray. Amen. Amen.